This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So what would you say? You're about four or five pounds heavier since the last time we're together. I can totally empathize, my friend. Believe me. All right. uh, A lot to get to. I have to warn you, though, if you are in the mood for a radio talk show that is four hours of um, cheering on, blowing up terrorists and covering uh, the most gruesome images of crime and hostages and uh, fanning the flames of the most divisive political political rhetoric you can imagine. This is not the show for you. It doesn't mean we won't talk about uh, world affairs and political affairs, but this is a show where, if you're listening to us for the first time, we talk about the full range of conversational topics. Just like you might at the Thanksgiving table or the leftover table, it's not all war and politics. At least I hope it's not. There's a lot more to it than life. In fact, we try to, on occasion, give you things that may give you a little bit of a break from the dour news about violence and uh, everything else that you see uh, nationally, locally, internationally. And someone that has been uh, lifting people's spirits for many decades is America's favorite dentist-turned-comedian. He is a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author, a producer, a director, and yes, a dentist. I'm very pleased to welcome back Jeffrey Gurian. Jeffrey, it's great to see you. It's great to see you too, Frank. And happy Thanksgiving to you and to all your listeners. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and a lot to be grateful for. Thank you. What did you end up doing for Thanksgiving? I went to see my kids. They they have a, a place upstate on a lake, a beautiful place, and I get to celebrate with them, their kids. My ex-wife, her husband, a big extended family. We all celebrate together. You know, it's you, wonderful. You've talked about this before, that you do spend a lot of holidays with your ex-wife. I think that's great that you're cordial. My cousin Andrea, her parents are divorced, and the last few Thanksgivings, they've been spending together. I think it's great when formerly divorced couples can do that. What's the trick? Because, you know, often divorce, there was a big article in the Times this weekend about how expensive it is, but even more so than the expense. So often you have two people that never thought they would be apart, that at one time were very much in love, really growing to hate one another. How do you get to a point where you see that a marriage isn't working out, but you are making the decision, especially if there are children involved, but even if they're not, where if there are children involved, that you guys are going to get along and be friendly? You know, it's such an interesting question. First of all, um, you can't get divorced unless you were married, right? Right. That's the progression. You had to get married first in order to be able to get divorced. (laughs) And nobody expected it to not last. You get married with the intention that it's going to last forever, hopefully. But not everybody is meant to be in your life forever. In my particular case, my ex-wife gave me the greatest gift that she could ever give me, my two daughters. Nobody else did that. Nobody else could do that. It had to be her genes, her X chromosomes, For those girls to be who they were. If I had been with somebody else, who knows? I might never have had children. 
to me, that was the most important thing. It's so meaningful to me. And I know you feel the same way. When I met Carmine, by the way, congratulations on his second birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. And he shared his Thanksgiving, uh, his Thanksgiving, his Halloween candy with me, which was so nice. But um, I respect my ex-wife so much for what she gave me that the fact that we grew apart, there was no hatred there. There was no animosity. And I think it's such a waste of time for people who hate each other, especially if you have children, because if you love your children, they wouldn't be those children if it wasn't for that other person. And yeah, I totally empathize. Obviously, you know, my wife and I are very happily married still. And, you know, God willing, it stays right? that way. <laughs> but um, I, there are times, well, first of all, I'm sure I push her buttons all the time. I, 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 I'm certain of it. But there are times when I am uh, tempted to uh, get upset with her, get irritated with her. And, you know, I just think how lucky I am that she gave me the, just such a, a wonderful boy who's just mm-hmm. uh, so perfect. So I totally get that. You know who's very friendly with his ex-wife? Uh, Uncle Floyd. Are you friendly with Uncle Floyd? I know him. I've met him a couple of times. I wouldn't say they're very yeah, friendly he with had, him. Um, yeah, he had some health issues recently. And the person that's been keeping me apprised of how he's doing health-wise is his ex-wife. I always think that's so great whenever that well, can happen. We had our big dinner at my ex-wife's house in the country. They all have houses around this lake, and it's really beautiful. And there must have been about 30, 35 people there. And I brought my significant other, and they get along great. That's wonderful. You know, everybody, everybody is happy. And, it, you know, there are certain spiritual principles, and I always bring that up, that I try to lead my life by. I've been trying to do that for the last 30 years or so. I'm a student of esoteric wisdom and spirituality, and there are certain principles, and if you can incorporate them into your life, things work out nicely. There's a lot of healing that occurs. There's always pain when people break up. It's one of the worst things that you can go through. But in retrospect, I see the reason for it. She adopted two other children and had another child of her own. Wow. That, that daughter recently had a baby. None of that could have happened had I been there still. I think that's uh, it's great that you see the long view uh, about all that sort of thing and uh, it's part of what makes you you and why i love your enthusiastic energy so much by the way um for anybody that wants to know the story of jeffrey's metamorphosis from dentist to stand-up impresario to something of a comedy legend certainly a comedy authority there's a very very uh well done short documentary on the youtube titled who the f is jeffrey gurian and uh that 14 minutes will open your eyes g-u-r-i-a-n we've talked about it a lot before but uh jeffrey i did want to take advantage of your dentistry expertise before we talk about some other things that you're up to and uh and other things i ran into my sister obviously for the holidays we were together on friday and then she came to carmine's birthday on saturday she was over the moon about some news that she got a few days ago from her dentist. I want to play you. I asked her to record a voicemail because this was the <laughs> primary topic of conversation in our family over the last 72 hours. Uh-huh. I want to play you what she said, and okay. then I want you to verify if this is as rare as she claims. There's my sister, Claudia. Okay. Hey, Frankie. Um, as you know, I went to the dentist right after Thanksgiving, got some crazy news at <laughs> this office. Um, I don't have any tips for anyone because I think this is just something you're born with. Um, but I will say, you know, 
has really impacted my day-to-day since learning this, changed how I view the world, changed how I, how I interact with people, knowing that I'm a one percenter and they're probably not. So overall positive experience. Um, no tips except just hope that you're born with it. And, um, definitely I feel has gone to my head immediately. So maybe that's a bad thing. Who knows? So she says or her dentist told her she's a one percenter. Apparently she not only has never had a, had a cavity, but she has all four of her wisdom teeth and never had any of them removed. And she has never had braces. And according to her dentist, that puts her teeth in the top 1% of teeth that he's ever seen. Is it really that rare? Yeah, it's very rare, but I, I couldn't get. I was I, I kept wondering, what is she going yeah, so to say? What did he tell her? She never said yeah, what yeah. it was that he told her. I guess she expected me to set it she up. Was I so excited. to the voice message she, before. She was so excited. She never said what it was. Yes, it is very rare, but if she's a younger person, I assume maybe she's in her 30s. Uh, yeah, around there. So yeah. things change. Years ago, they didn't know how sugar would affect your teeth these days, a lot more people are growing up without cavities because they're more aware of how to take care of your teeth, how to brush and floss. Years ago, people didn't, they just thought that, at, at, that as you got older, it was normal to lose your teeth. And I came from, I'm still wearing my badge. I came from the Greater New York I Dental Convention. I, love I, was, it. I was there today. I still stay in touch because uh, there's a magazine called Dentistry Today, and the editor this guy, Paul Feuerstein, he wants to do a story about me. And so the dean of Temple University invited me to this thing that they were having. It's at the Javits Center. It goes on every year after Thanksgiving, the biggest dental convention in the world. And so I went. It's, it's, it's so huge. It's unbelievable. You get to see all the new products and all. And I presented there at one time talking about headaches coming from TMJ. And I just want to mention that briefly. If any of your listeners wake up in the morning and their neck hurts, the last person in the world they would think to tell that their neck hurts would be their dentist. Right. right? Why would you ever tell your dentist that your neck hurts? So they take the information available to them and make an excuse that makes sense to them. So most people say, oh, my pillow is no good. My mattress is no good. I slept in a funny position. But because of stress, people clench and grind their teeth. And the muscles from your jaw actually connect into your neck in the trapezius area. They go into the temple region, which can cause headaches. You know, a lot of people feel, a lot of people get headaches in the frontal area. Some people get headaches behind their head in the occipital area, that bone near your ear in the back, and from the shoulders. So if you wake up in the morning and your neck hurts, ask your dentist to see if you're grinding your teeth. Because people think they have migraine headaches and it's really coming from their jaw. That is really interesting. Um, but I think my sister only wants to socialize with other one percenters now. It's um, going to be hard to find friends. Yeah, no, so she yeah. only wants to socialize and I think only date people that are similarly tooth situated. So if you know of other one percenters that you can steer her away, please I'll do send that. Them over. I thought of you uh, today. Because you're in your 60s, right? I could say that. Almost. Way, almost. I, I think uh, no one knows my age. Uh, no, and I don't even either. own it. And I'll tell you why. Not to be a jerk, 
But as soon as you own an age, you're responsible for that I, number. I, I, right? I'm with you. And yeah. there's a reason for my asking because I, if I were to guess, I would say maybe around 60. And I just be given, given your body of work and some of the people that you've worked with. Uh, I read a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend by Rob Lezebnik. The headline was how to avoid being boring at 60. And it's a wonderful essay about what people can do when their life is so routine that they've run out of stories. And this writer profiles a number of people who are leading really exciting lives around the age of 60. And Rob suggests embarking on a series of tame, achievable, and eye-opening challenges. What do you have? Give people a pro tip to if there's many things people could say about you, you're not boring. <laughs> How do you avoid being boring at 60 or at any age, really? Look, I feel like a kid. And I, I, I've heard people say that before, but I really do. If you came to my place, it's filled with balloons and crayons and toys. And my kids don't live with me. Those things are for me. My inner child is my best friend. Uh, all my friends are in their 30s and 40s. In the comedy world, most people are very young, and that's who I'm surrounded by. And so it's just natural for me to have that kind of energy. I run in the street. I, I, I'm in the gym a few times a week. I have a million interests. Um, so I don't feel bored. And I used to tell my mom, there must be something that you like to do you should look on the internet and find something, whether it's a book club, anything. Um, it's terrible for people who don't have interests, mm. who just stay home and watch TV all day or listen to the radio. And I love the radio, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But, there are people, but there are people who don't have a lot of interests. And I think it's very important to find something that you love. To me, I, my goal has always been to put positive energy out to the universe, whether I've made people beautiful as a cosmetic dentist or make them laugh in the comedy world. By um, the way, I really give you a lot of credit for, even though you're very accomplished in the world of comedy, keeping a, uh, staying involved in the world of dentistry. It almost reminds me of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, here's a guy that achieved a lot of success in fields outside of bodybuilding, um, acting, real estate, uh, politics, obviously. And yet he still is very involved in the sport of, of bodybuilding. He doesn't forget about the place that he came from. So I, I kind I have, of... I have a funny story about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I actually wrote jokes for Arnold really? Schwarzenegger. And before he was even famous, I used to read these bodybuilding magazines, and his name struck me. It's such an odd name, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I used to say to my girlfriend, who became my wife, please don't let this guy ever insult you because I don't want to have to fight with him. <laughs> and so I went to Saturday Night Live when the show was new, and in those days they had assigned seats. I show up, and who's sitting in my seat? Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and I have to ask him to move. <laughs> and I'm there with this girl, and I said to him, I'm sorry, but you're in my seat. And he was so kind. He said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. And, and he, he moved his seat. We exchanged information, and I wound up writing jokes for him for the Mike Douglas show. Oh. He, was, he was promoting the movie Pumping Iron at the time. Oh, boy. His first movie. That's how long ago it was. And I recently found a letter from him. I think it was on Golden Oak Productions. In the documentary that you mentioned that sure. they did about me, 
I mentioned that letter from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I had forgotten he was, that. He was so nice. Uh, that, I had forgotten nice that. But you know, of all people, to be in my seat, can you imagine I, having I, to ask him to move? Yeah, no, I wouldn't <laughs> poke him in the ribs at, uh, at any age, you know. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was profiled also in the Wall Street Journal magazine this weekend, uh, basically saying that uh, laughter is the best medicine. And a lot of people are always saying that where there's laughter, there's usually pain. Julia Louis-Dreyfus says in this article, essentially that the reverse is also true. And she's launched this new podcast where she focuses on the role of humor in healing. Sounds like you would agree with her completely on that. There's no question about it. I'm on the board of this group called LaughMD that started in California. This fellow, Frank Chindamo, created this. And it it brings comedy to hospitals. Mm. I was also involved with uh, Comedy Cures. I performed at Sloan Kettering for cancer patients. They actually wheeled people out on IVs And we made them laugh because when people are sick, other people tend to withdraw from them because it's awkward. You you don't know what to say, especially when someone is very ill. And laughter is incredible because it releases endorphins, which is the pleasure chemical. That's great. And and it helps you get better. So it's not just the saying that laughter is the best medicine. It's really true. Uh, Jeffrey Gurian is my guest. If you want to call in and chat with us about anything that we're talking about, you can give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. He is an author. He is a a very funny person. If you want to learn more about him, what he's doing, you can go to ComedyMattersTV.com. We may chat about some of his books later, but if you want to check out any of his books, you can just go to Amazon and type Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. A lot of these books um, make a wonderful Christmas or Hanukkah gift for people. There's even a book specifically about holidays, which is a lot of fun, but it's also very informative. Uh, Jeffrey, what are you doing in Vermont uh, this week? Uh, thanks for asking. I'm very excited about this. I'm going up to the Vermont Comedy Festival. These two young comics, uh, Colin Doyle and Matt Vita, started this festival, which is a very ambitious thing to do. I've produced shows, but to produce an entire festival is really incredible. Fifty comedians are coming. I'm the official interviewer because I've been doing that for 30 years. I, 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 I interviewed on the red carpet at the Just for Laughs Festival every year probably since 1992, the biggest comedy festival in the world. And I've done many other fests. And these young guys contacted me. So I'm the official interviewer. I'll be, per- I'll be performing at the festival. I'm doing a book signing there for my oh. book uh, with Chris Rock, uh, called Make Him Laugh, and also Man Rob's Bank with His Chin. And uh, it's going to be amazing. And it's this Thursday from November 30th to December the 3rd. And in the past, when I've talked about shows, some of your listeners have showed up. So anybody who's in Vermont, come and say well, well, hi. We do have some listeners in, um, in, in that part of the country, no doubt about it. Now, you talk about the difference and the difficulty in putting on a comedy festival versus a comedy show. For the people that don't know about the comedy business, what is a comedy festival? What is that versus just a regular comedy show? It's several nights of entertainment. Usually there's some daytime programming as well. I may be doing a, a presentation, a keynote presentation in the afternoon for people because you have to give them something to do during the day also. But at night, there are usually several venues and each one of them has a show and you have to coordinate a schedule and then you have to book comedians on each of those shows, which is a tremendous thing to do. It's hard enough to book comedians on one show. You know, most shows are like 90 minutes to two hours Mm. max. 
And a festival has several shows a day. And this particular festival is going for four days. And they asked if I could help them arrange for a big star to come. And I called my buddy Colin Quinn, and he's the headliner of the festival. Wonderful. So it's going to be an amazing show. Um, they have this uh, Woolen Mill Comedy Club that holds about 400 people. And Colin will be performing there on Saturday night, December 2nd. And I hope these guys are listening right now. I don't know. I told hey, them uh, that we're going to be talking about Now, that's show. great. Well, and uh, our friend, Obi Murray, who's a regular guest on this show and a big listener, he's uh, up there in Vermont, so maybe he'll come. That'll and, be great. Um, Vermont apparently seceded from New York State in 1777. As I understand it, it's the only successful secession from New York State. I know you've not been up there yet. I haven't either, but... Based on what you know, do you think Vermont would have been better off remaining a part of New York State, or did they do the right thing by seceding? I, th- I think they did the right thing. Isn't their motto, live free or die? No, I think that's New Hampshire. Oh, is it New Hampshire? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew one of those places has that. They like living uh, free. Up there. It's close, though. I just looked it up. Vermont's motto is freedom and unity. Freedom and unity. I like it. Which is ironic for a state that chose to secede from New York State. They weren't really practicing much (laughs) in the way of unity then. They were busy seceding. I think they had had knowledge. Let's say that. I can't even think. I'm losing my facility for the language. They must have known what was happening to New York years ago. They had an idea that it would be a good idea to secede. They were actually part of New York at one time? Yeah, up until 1777, yeah. I didn't know, because it's a five-hour trip. Uh, I, well, maybe they made the right decision by seceding. Do you know that I packed already? Uh, That's uh, how sick I am. Yeah. I have to pack in advance. So I, I pack six minutes before my car is picking me you up really? to the airport. That's when well, I pack. You are my idol. No, I, well, I literally, my ADHD kicks my butt, and I have to pack. When I went to Japan, I started packing two weeks before I open a suitcase and I start putting things in as I think of them because the thought of getting somewhere and not having something I need is frightening to me. If my wife ever does divorce me, it will be over something packing related. (laughs) That's where we're that's where we're at. She's more (laughs) like you. All right. uh, Jeffrey Gurian is my guest. Uh, Check him out. Comedy Matters TV dot com. That's Comedy Matters TV dot com. You can also check out some of his books on on Amazon. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. In the world of radio, this uh, is largely known as Jeffrey Gurian's theme song. Uh, if you're just tuning in, Jeffrey Gurian is a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author, a producer, a director, and yes, a dentist. And it was uh, Ron Bennington that, that gave you this uh, theme song? Yes, exactly. Well, I was a regular on the show for a couple of years, and I would bring on special guests who were friends of mine, like Trevor Noah and D.L. Hughley and Colin Quinn and Artie Lang. And, uh, more than 50 guests I brought on. And every and I would jump around to all the comedy clubs seeing everybody perform. And that's how I got that as my theme song. I love it. I love it. Hey, we were chatting before the show about uh, a couple of bold-faced comedic names. And uh, I mentioned one person, another person. And uh, you mentioned a couple times, oh, I used to party with them back at this location or in that era. You you don't drink, right? No. And you have you ever been a drinker a long time ago a long time ago but, but very mildly so in the in the gurian context what is partying you're not doing drugs you're not drinking uh what are you doing what's partying in jeffrey gurian uh, world meeting a lot of people and going to all fun places there you go you know my my father was a liquor salesman and never drank my grandfather owned a nightclub and it's funny and never drank <laughs> And so I never got it. I never was into sports. My dad wasn't into sports. I, I don't do things that most people do for some reason. I can't imagine so. that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Greetings, Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey, you're my favorite guest on Frank's show. That's so uh, nice. Thank you. It, it, it's just, just joyful. It's just spectacular. I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned in the past that, of course, you, you were a, a dentist. Mm-hmm. And then you were writing jokes, I guess, and started to get into comedy. So when did you make that transition? And, and how did you decide to maybe uh, give up dentistry or pursue comedy in a more major way? And did you end up taking a pay cut? Well, I was doing both for many years. I never did just one until recently. I was While I was in practice, I was writing for you know Joan Rivers and Rodney Dangerfield and uh, Jerry Lewis and all these people for the Friars Roast. So I was actually doing both at the same time. Um, and then when I, I, I taught at NYU for 12 years, and when I did the book with Chris Rock on the history of the comic strip, that's kind of when I left dentistry per se and just did comedy. And um, what was the rest of your question? <laughs> did you take a pay cut? Oh, did I take a pay cut? Somewhat of a pay cut. Somewhat of a pay cut. But you know what? Every every dollar that I make doing comedy, when you're doing something that you really love, and I loved being a dentist, by the way, which is why I still go to the conventions mm-hmm. and I still stay in touch with it. Like I lecture on what I mentioned before on TMJ problems and how they can cause physical body pain from stress. I do lectures on that stuff. I don't practice anymore. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I still stay connected to it because I really loved what I did. Yeah, great question, uh, Igor. Thank you. You know, we're talking about uh, alcohol and drugs, I would imagine that when you're in comedy and you're going to, a, maybe not you because you also had a day job for a lot of the time that you right. were doing this, but for a lot of people that linger around a comedy club or a, a nightclub the whole evening waiting for their set to start... There's a lot of uh, temptation to get involved in heavy drinking, to get involved in uh, things like drugs. 
Do you see that more in comedy than in other aspects of entertainment? Is there is there a culture that's conducive to doing things like uh, being the opposite of sober? I think you see it a lot in the entertainment business just because it's a very weird thing to get up in front of people and entertain them, mm-hmm. and especially in comedy. It's the hardest thing in the world to get up in front of total strangers and try to convince them that what you think is funny is actually funny. But what people usually find out is that, like, when you're drunk, everything is funny. <laughs> and then the next day, when you think about it, it's like, that, it's not that funny. You know, people, like, a, a lot of comics have gotten sober. There's a big sobriety community in the comedy world. And a lot of the comics who used to go on stage, they'd need a couple of drinks first to get the courage to go up because it's really hard to do oh, stand-up no comedy. Oh, no doubt about it, sure. We make it look easy because when you go, even if you're nervous inside, you project confidence. And in, uh, in my particular case, that came from me conquering stuttering because in order to conquer stuttering, you have to have supreme confidence. You have to feel good about yourself. You have to have good self-esteem. And I worked for many years to get that. So even if you're nervous inside, you're projecting confidence. Well, no, that's uh, probably an important skill for people in every aspect of life to, uh, to try to hone. But show business is all about ego. And when, when everything you do is ego-driven, sometimes you need a boost from alcohol and drugs. And sobriety is about creating a balance, you know, detaching from ego. Uh, being a, a worker among workers, mm-hmm. as I say, I do a lot of work with 12-step programs, so I understand the power of them. They're very powerful spiritual programs, and they teach you certain principles. They're based on ancient spiritual principles, like I mentioned, about doing the next right thing. That's all. Um, tell me about this short film that you're in, that you're in now, A Walk in the Park. Oh, what is this? Very exciting. I, there's a girl, uh, Noelle Leon. She's uh, a stand-up comedian from L.A., She's a Playboy model. She's a filmmaker. She's got just about a million followers on Instagram, which to me is an amazing thing. Oh, sure. And she contacted me and she asked if I would star in this film that that she created called A Walk in the Park, a very Woody Allen-ish kind of film, a short film, black and white. And she sent me the script and I'm like, yes, I will definitely do it because I have a very strong connection to Woody Woody, when I was still in dental school, Woody Allen read my earliest material. Mm. It's a story that I've told, but I got to sit with him for an hour, and he looked over all my stuff, and he said to me, your comedy is very visual, and you should really think of making a film out of it. Many years later, I wrote a film called I Am Woody, about a violent mob boss who's obsessed with Woody (laughs) Allen. And I I had... uh, uh, Johnny Sack from The Sopranos. Oh, terrific. Vince Caratola yeah. was in it, played a doctor, Victor Argo, the late Victor Argo, who was a great actor who unfortunately passed away, was one of the stars in it. And um, so this guy, this violent mob boss, he survives a mob hit. He comes out of it with amnesia. And now he really thinks he's Woody Allen, but he's six foot five and 300 pounds. He's a huge Woody Allen, and he becomes afraid of his own men. He thinks he's small and thin, so he won't go to a sit-down. <laughs> they have to tell him it's not a sit-down. It's a, it's a party to raise money for your new movie. He goes, and don't be surprised if they call you Big Frank. And he goes, why would they call me Big Frank if my name is Woody? And he talks like Woody Allen, and he wears the bucket hat like Woody Allen. And it won festivals. So when she asked me to star in this movie, I said, absolutely. And we've been shooting it. We shot it in Central Park. 
and it's in post-production right now. And so I got what's the to write some of When do you lines. think people will uh, be able to see it? Uh, I'd say in the next month or two. Oh, great. All and right. She's making it to enter into festivals. Oh, great. Well, you got to keep so us posted. I'm very on excited that. about it. That's great. Very excited. Uh, uh, speaking of, uh, and, and you talk about a guy with a busy calendar, the only person that might be busier than you is uh, the owner of our network, John Katsimatidis. I understand you were in the same I, I place that uh, John was in on yeah. Tuesday. Where were you? At Carnegie Hall. And you must have I, done a lot of practicing. I got yeah, I got invited, and it was it was a very special evening. I'm so glad that I went. John was the recipient. I want to say it correctly. I kept my my ticket. It says um, he received the Global Leadership Award, the Maurice R. Greenberg. They called him Hank Greenberg. I think was his nickname. Mm-hmm. Of uh, I think he he owned AIG, some billion dollar company. And John Katsimatidis won this award, Global Leadership Award. And he was there with Margot and his Wonderful. daughter, Andrea. You know, AJ Cash, sure. she goes by on Instagram. That's great. And yeah, I posted something afterward. I shot video of it. He gave a great speech about how if you work hard in this country, you can achieve. And he certainly did. He started with one grocery store, I think. And it, it, No, I mean, you talk about the definition of the American dream. It's, uh, it's, it's what John has done with his life. And I, I really enjoy what he's pushing for now, trying to bring a panda to New York City. I think it would oh, yeah. be a great thing Two pandas, for tourism. Think, right? Pandas, yeah. yes. Yeah. That would be a great thing for tourism and for sort of morale. Uh, I think people would really enjoy that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Chris is in the Catskills. What's on your mind, Chris? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Jeffrey, uh, I saw that the festival online, it's in Woodstock, Vermont. What uh, times and nights of the festival are you performing stand-up? And uh, I, uh, the Woodstock, New York, has a pretty good film festival that's been going on for a little over 20 years. And I know they have a Woodstock Writers Festival in Woodstock, New York. Maybe that's something that you could get with some people to try and put that together. And real quick on dentistry, I saw something on television uh, this morning about uh, the Mayans were using, in 600 AD, were using oyster shell uh, oyster shells as dental implants, wow. and they were stronger than the implants today. Because at an oyster shell, a drill bit uh, can't go through them. That's amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm totally. I love stories like that. Same. Like, like ancient history, and they were doing surgery in the in those days too. Like years ago, there. You know, have you ever watched Ancient Aliens? Sure, all the time. I love okay, it. Okay, I love Ancient Aliens, and I truly believe that there's no way that human beings lifted stones that were a hundred thousand pounds and built the pyramids. It had to be like some some extraterrestrial force that taught them how to do that or that did it for them. Uh, so I'm very excited to go to Vermont. Uh, do you know uh, if people do want to get tickets and see you? I think I'm going to be in a show Friday night. They're still working on the schedule, believe it or not. That's gotcha. how hard it is. They haven't told me exactly when, but Thursday night is the welcoming thing. So gotcha. Friday night, I'm assuming right. that I'll be performing Friday night. All right. Well, Carlin is in Vermont. Maybe he's got some answers for us. Hello, Carlin. Hey, Frank, Jeffrey, how you guys doing? Is that Colin Doyle? Oh, Colin, excuse yes. me. Hey, Colin, how are you? <laughs> He's Good, one of the guys that I was mentioning. Outstanding, great. Who's well, producing the festival. We'll, we'll send him a yeah, bill for the commercial. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for talking about it. It's great. Yeah, so, uh, what, what, you know, according to Jeffrey, you got to be insane to do something like this, Colin. What, what, what's the matter <laughs> with you? <laughs> 
Well, well, if you knew anything about me and my uh, business partner, Matt Vita, I think that's a pretty fair description of us. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it's coming together great. We have over 60 comedians coming in from all around the country uh, to Vermont and uh, with over 20 shows uh, in the four days. So um, like Jeffrey mentioned, Woolen Mill Comedy Club's our brick and mortar venue here in Vermont. We're one of two comedy clubs um, in the state that uh, offers uh uh, comedy, you know, regularly. So we're very excited to have shows there. We have shows, three shows a night, eight, 10, midnight, as well as the big marquee show with Colin Quinn and, uh, shows at long trail brewery and still on the mountain in Killington. So, well, it's great. Really, of course, well, well good luck. Uh, so Colin, yeah. if people want tickets or more information, is there a website you can direct people to? Yeah. So if you go to vermontcomedyfestival.com, uh, you can see the full uh, programming there as well as tickets to purchase. And uh, like Jeffrey said, he's going to be on the red carpet doing some some interviews as well as performing. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's four days. So uh, if you can come to Vermont, we uh, recommend staying at Six on the River Inn. Terrific. And, uh, I'm, I'm eager to yeah. see if the, the maple syrup is all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> uh, thank you, Colin. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thanks, Frank. See yeah. you soon, Colin. Take care, man. 800-848-9222. Uh, just go, going back to dentistry for a second, you, mm-hmm. the Pope, who I think is a pretty funny guy in his own right, I think he's actually, I don't know if he's performed stand-up, but he's been involved in comedy prior to... The Pope? As I, as I understand it, you I know believe what? he I, I, I used to wonder, how do you take the Pope to a party and introduce him to people without sounding like a name-dropper? <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be so weird to like bring the Pope and what do you say to people, right? It's true. But anyway, uh, he's apparently uh, he was battling the flu or something this week and uh, he had to do his blessing via video rather than mm-hmm. in person. But one of the things that he said was that he uh, has lamented and the Vatican in general, they've lamented the loss of the family doctor. And I hear this from a lot of patients and a lot of doctors and people in general that they miss the time when you could go to a family doctor, not go to a corporation. And mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering, was dentistry like that? And is it still like that? Did people go to a, a family dentist? Because my dentist is basically works for a bigger network of dentists. Has the same thing that happened to the family doctor happened to the family dentist? Yes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I don't think there ever was like door-to-door dentistry, but I remember that they were actually house calls. Doctors, when I was a kid, doctors would come to your house and give you an injection. Well, I, I think that's kind of what the Pope is talking about. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when doctors would do that, but today... First of all, with crime, I don't think doctors would feel safe going to people's homes anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a thing of the past, unfortunately. The whole world was different. It was a much kinder place. I grew up in the Bronx when the Bronx was a really nice place to live. People left their doors open and doctors would come to your house. Nobody was afraid of getting mugged or robbed or having something happen to them. You know, uh, I do wonder, and I think that's certainly true in a lot of neighborhoods especially in the Bronx. But I do wonder how much of this is uh, media and greater awareness that that crime is taking place that maybe wasn't there 30, 40, 50 years ago. Because if you look at the crime statistics, you know, crime was worse 30 years ago in our area. But um, I, I think people feel like it's worse now. 
if that makes sense. But I hear what you're saying, and uh, I, I'm sure there are other factors as, as well. But there is corporate dentistry. Mm-hmm. There is groups that own many, many offices. When I first got out of school, I worked for a guy that owned about five Medicaid offices. I started in Medicaid because that was a great way to get experience. Because when you first get out of school, you really don't know that much. You know, you only get, you learn by doing. And so I worked in the South Bronx for two and a half years with the most wonderful people. And I treated them as if they were private patients. Mm. They got work for free. When I went into my own practice, a lot of them actually wanted to follow me. They said, we'll pay. We want to pay to stay your patients. You know, I had a wonderful experience there. That's great. There. That's, that's terrific. 800-848-9222. We'll get back to your calls in uh, just a second. You know, we, we've talked about a lot of the great stand-ups that you've worked with, uh, that you've worked with and written for uh, people like Joan Rivers and Rodney Dangerfield. It strikes me if you look at the list of the greatest living stand-ups, it reads like a who's who of famous dead people, right? <laughs> if you were to pick, um, you know, it might be an unfair question, but if you were to pick right now, who do you think is the greatest living stand-up comic? Oh, geez, that's such a hard question. Because the, every comic has their own style, you know, it's like, and I'm friends with all these young guys that are just killing that. You know, Andrew Schultz, Mark Norman, they're, you know, the, Chris DeStefano. I was just with Chris DeStefano from Staten Island, mm-hmm. one of your boys, right? On a Friday night, he sold out Radio City Music Hall. The very next night, he sold out the theater at Madison Square Garden. That's never been done before. That's funny. These I, guys I, are I, huge. I heard him on another radio show. I didn't know he was from um, from Staten, Staten Island, Island yeah. but I heard him on another radio show. That was the first that I'd heard him. I thought he was terrific. I thought he was hysterical. Oh, he's, he's made a new fan in me. He's great, and he and Sal Volcano do a podcast on the No Presh Network, No Presh, which is a funny name, and... I will be a guest on there very soon. I'll look forward uh, to hearing yes, that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Jeffrey Gurian is here. We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. This is the end. We have some uh, dental-related stories since we have a quasi-dental theme today, beginning with my sister's perfect teeth. Uh, we are going to begin with some or continue with some dental-related stories from Jeffrey's incredible book, Man Robs Bank with His Chin, which apparently there will be a book signing for at the... Uh, Vermont Comedy Festival this week. A whole lot more to get to, and only 10 minutes to do it. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Until the top of the hour, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 
My very special guest for the hour has been Jeffrey Gurian, comedy writer, stand-up comic, and author. You can check out his book on Amazon, his books. Uh, just uh, search his last name, G-U-R-I-A-N. Jeffrey, I think uh, one of the books that uh, clearly resonates with people, even a long time after it was originally published, is your book, Man Robs Bank With His Chin, and uh, other stories that are missed by missed the by mainstream, mainstream media, media yes. oddly enough, because they're incredible stories, almost too uh, too amazing to believe. I understand uh, you were in demand at the Greater New York Dental Convention over the weekend at the Javits Center for a lot of the dental-related stories in this book. Give us one or two. Okay, well, I just want to say first, the forward to the book was written by the guy who created The Onion, Scott Dickers, and... I was the writer for the Weekly World News. If you remember the Weekly World News, I, I had it. my own column called Gurian's World of the Bazaar because they said the stories that I found were so unusual that I had to have my own column. Incredible. And I wanted to say, you know, as smart as Carmine is, and I was very impressed with his intelligence, I, there's a story here that I have 10-month-old infant accepted to college. You're kidding. In Connecticut. In Kentucky, 10-month-old, when he was born, he spoke fluently from the time he was born. He actually thanked his parents as he was born for, for having him and that, thanked the doctor for delivering him. It's amazing. Spoke in perfect, in perfect English. Amazing. Unbelievable. And, uh, and uh, so uh, I'm, I'm losing my facility for the language. His teachers at college say that they don't mind stopping the class every once in a while to change his diaper because he's so smart and every once in a while, he has to stop to have a bottle. But they don't care no, because it's a, a so ten, bright. 10 months old to be in college. That's incredible. Unbelievable. That is some so, story. At the dental convention, I, t I showed them the book, Dentist Accidentally Extracts Man's Face. Oh, my. Which is an unbelievable thing. I can't imagine why, what that does for liability insurance. Well, I was just going to say, that's why dentists have to have so much liability insurance. This man's face was so swollen. He had a bad tooth. Tried to take it out himself with a wrench. He lived on a farm, and where where is he from? Len Wheaton in North Dakota. Oh, jeez. Winds up with a toothache. Tries to take it out himself with a wrench. Couldn't get it out. Has to go to the dentist. Face was so swollen that his face actually became loose. And when they extracted the tooth, his face came oh, with it. The what dentist, a nightmare! The dentist tried to cement his face back on, but it didn't go on straight. And now he's suing for loss of face. Oh, my. Uh, well, he says he has to smile from somewhere under his chin. you got to keep us posted on how that, uh, that story how that turns works out. out. And the other story was dentists are advising the elderly to squeeze their food because a lot of elderly people, they have a hard time. Their teeth are worn down or their dentures mm. don't fit properly. Right, makes sense. It affects their digestion, Frank. And so what dentists are advising is for them to start with, with something easy like a tuna sandwich and squeeze it in your squeeze hand. It. Squeeze it tight. Squeeze it up good, and that would make it much easier to chew and much better for their digestion. Do you subscribe to this, the squeezing before it, it, chewing? It makes sense. It does. I, I tried it myself, and it seems to work. I would think it's a little messy, though. It's a little messy, but you know what? I did the too much tuna thing with Nick Roll and John <laughs> Mulaney, and that's what got me into that. You it's know? interesting. Uh, I, you know, I had some egg salad over the weekend. I would have started by squeezing, squeezing that. it. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Lisa's in Connecticut. You're on with Jeffrey Gurian. Well, let's lighten the mood a little bit. I have a joke for you. Um, what do you call it when chickens want to go to to the dance party? 
I give up. I have no idea. It's a foul bull. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Lisa, I'll get you Jeffrey's number. You may need to hire a writer. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Jeffrey. Would you say, like, just say anybody on this set of, say, Steinfeld or uh, even Gilligan's Island, because they're around that type of uh, writing, could potentially do some stand-up. Not only, say, a Jerry Steinfeld, but say anybody that's on a regular on a set like that. Would that be a good prep for that, or you'd still have to be inclined? Well, you know what? Not all actors can do stand-up. You know, stand-ups can act very often, but not all actors can do stand-up. Stand-up is a very, very separate thing, and you really have to be so inclined. Um, so, uh, again, in answer to your question, stand-ups make better actors than hmm. actors doing stand-up. Interesting question, Joe. Thanks. Meyer is here in New York. Hi, Meyer. Hello? Meyer, are you there? All right, lost Meyer. Uh, Michael is on the east side. Hi, Michael. Okay, a couple of quick thoughts. One, uh, you were talking about TMJ. I have a problem once a week. It's in my. It uh, relates to the temple. Why do rabbis have to make twenty-minute speeches and then they don't even say kiddish to follow? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> what? And what's the next one? A friend of mine, a friend of mine went for implants. He was a very successful financial guy. And he said, I'm going to treat myself. I'm taking care of my family all the time. He had his whole mouth done with implants. The bill comes. And a week later, his finances just went down to the toilet. He couldn't pay the bill. The dentist sued him. He felt bad. He said, but I got to sue you to protect myself. Okay. He sued him. So went to court and the judge said, you owe him $400,000. I don't have it, judge. So the judge said, okay, look. Five seconds, Michael. Five seconds. Got to wrap it up. An indentured servant. Oh, not worth that. (laughs) Jeffrey, thank you as always. (laughs) ComedyMattersTV.com. Always great to be with you. Keep asking questions.